You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! With your love, Bob's T-Pain. I got a fresh lineup, yeah, a fresh outfit. About to have a parking lot on Smash. Plus, I got a 7 with a 4, 54 in the hood. That bitch got 125 on the dash. I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far. I'm the, I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far. I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far. Cause it's just another day in the life of the goddamn boss. Welcome to the Let's Be Honest podcast. I'm your host, Frank Styles, and welcome to episode 7. I think it's 7. I think I'm on episode 7 of my podcast. And today, uh, we have a special guest in the building. But before I get to him, I wanted to thank everyone uh, who has been supporting my podcast. It's been great. You can catch me on iTunes. You can catch me on Stitcher. You can follow me on Twitter at FrankStyles1. You can also send any requests or catch the podcast on my website at BossRadioStation.com. You can leave your comments, message me. Um, also on iTunes, when you're listening to the podcast, please leave comments. I will give you shout outs on the, on the next episodes for those that leave comments for me. So make sure that you do that, but it's been a, it's been great. Um, we had the, um, ladies on last week talking about being women in the me too era. My girls, Erica and fee from Buffalo, New York, from the salon talk podcast, make sure you guys check them out and you can catch them on all the major platforms and, uh, like, and subscribe to their show. But today, we got a really special guest uh, on the show. He is a writer, an actor, former boxer, and now he's looking to be a director writing his own show in shorts. And he is also the WBC Ambassador for Peace. And that, yes, that is the World Boxing Commission Ambassador for Peace and Champion, Mr. Dino Wells. Dino, welcome to the show, bro. Hey, how you doing? What's up, man? What's going Thank on? Thank you for having me on. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on, man, to the show. And, uh, you know, we got a lot to get into, man. But before we get into uh, the interview process of it, man, go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and who you are. Well, I am the WC Honorary Champion in Basketball Peace. Um, I just I love life. I love people. I love inspiring you know, born and raised in Chicago, raised in Ufala, raised in New Orleans, raised in pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and just my just my mission is to just open eyes and just touch the lives of people and just do good things. That's pretty much it. I got you, man. It's an art form. You're you're an, you're an artist. You have a craft that that, that you go after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well. Let's let's get into it, man, because you you have such an interesting life. I mean, you've had um, documentaries done, as I indicated in, in introducing to you. You know, introducing you, you're the WBC uh, honorary uh, ambassador for peace and champion. And there's so much. I mean, you've been um, you've been on set with greats like Robert De Niro, Sylvester Stallone, and I think that a lot of times some of the things that you do underrated and overlooked, in my opinion. Um, and, and, and that's my opinion because I follow you. And so I see some of the things in your accomplishments that you have done, um, throughout your career, but man, let's, let's start a little bit from the beginning in your early career. I think that's a, a fair assessment and a fair place to start. Let's talk about right. your, your, your boxing career, man. Tell me how you got into boxing. Well, I got into boxing where I was five years old and my mom was dating this guy and he had some boxing gloves signed 
by Shakira Robertson, and he, I guess you know I'm I'm five years old, so he put the gloves on. He used to hit his hands and stuff like that, and with the gloves on. Gloves were kind of too big for my hands anyway, so I used to hit his hands and stuff with it, and that resonated with me over the years. So I started watching boxing, but my mom never wanted me to get into boxing, so I didn't get into boxing until after I left my mom, okay. and. When I got into boxing, I, w- I was a rough, rugged brawler at one point. Like, I think I could fight, and I beat up this one dude brawling. I didn't, it, I didn't box the guy. I just brawled this dude to, and beat him. And then my original trainer, my trainer, Butch, saw, saw me street fight before, brought me in, said, um, but you, got some good, you got some good hands, but can you box? And I was like, I can't box. And then he was like, Showed me how he can break. He broke me down from my brawling. He broke me down and showed me where I messed up at. And then he broke and it just every day he showed me how to jab, how to put the right hand, how to hook, how to step, balance, and just the whole technician, technical aspect of boxing. He gave me a, a, a box of VHS tapes of old school boxing. And there was a bunch of tapes on Sugar Ray Robinson. I remember that name, Sugar Ray Robinson. I started following them and then. Took it from there and won 29 straight fights. But I lost my first fight, and then went on and had a, an outstanding, most feared amateur boxer at one point back in the days. Okay, you said that record was 29 and 0. I know. Well, I went 29 straight fights, but I lost my first one. But my overall record was 7 to 13. Oh, okay, okay, all right, man. That's great though. Starting out, man. So you just took it on. You took it on as a kid, and you just enjoyed it so much that you wanted to learn more and more. Mm-hmm. I was a student to the game, studied, 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 eat, sleep, boxing, trained hard. If it was snowing, blizzard, raining, I was always running, training. I was always doing something I felt that the next person wasn't doing. So that's that's how I, I trained. I trained hard. I actually ate, eat, sleep, study. I stopped going outside, hanging out in the streets, stopped having sex. I stopped doing everything, just focusing my life on boxing at that, at that point in my life. That's that's truly a boxer's uh, life. You had that you had that hunger that you hear boxers always talk about because it's one thing to box, but you always hear boxers say that you have to have a strong mentality because it's a mental thing too. So the fact that you you know you cut all those things out and you know it's just able to focus on boxing and be successful with is a that was that had to be something great for you. Yep. Wow, that's crazy, yep. man. So so you got into the boxing world. So what do you think? We, while we're on the subject of boxing. What do you think has happened that's caused boxing not to be as, in my opinion, um, as exciting as it used to be? You know, if you remember. Too many, too many cream puffs. Too many cream puffs in boxing. Too many soft fighters. Some undisciplined. Not, not, not getting me wrong. Not all boxers not disciplined. But it's, just, it's a different breed of fighters these days. Mm-hmm. Different breed of a lot, a lot of ducking. Like I said, there's a lot of pussified boxing, I call them. There are too many wusses. It's more about the money. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you got to fight and make money. Of course, the main game is to make money, as much money. You know, Mayweather, he has opened that platform to a whole other business side of boxing. Right. But it's the, of the, the love of the sport, winning a title, defending your title, and the money is going to come. But it's too much ducking and sliding and back talking and you know all this today is just kind of it's a farce to me and i was like if you stop the ducking and just take on the best fight don't worry about the record i mean you undefeated if somebody's better than you show that it sees this person is better than you maybe you can be like like 
Joshua and Wilder. I think Joshua destroys Wilder. Mm-hmm. Nico, mm-hmm. You know? And, and I and I and all that stuff that's going on, people saying Joshua's ducking Wilder, Joshua's scared of Wilder. Come on, that man is six something six one, six two, whatever how tall he is with super skills, whereas Wilder is a glorified amateur in my book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But he, he has a lot of power and he has a lot of heart. And he can and if he catches one of them wild punches, can you withstand that power? But he has no, not that he doesn't have that much skill when it comes to boxing. Mm-hmm. But he has his heart pulls him through. So, like I said, when you have somebody like Joshua, if he can take that punch, Joshua will destroy him in six rounds. Yeah, man, it's 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 crazy with boxing. Um, I definitely agree with you. Floyd Mayweather has opened up that platform where boxers should, you know, and I think you agree with me when I say this. There was a time when boxers weren't getting paid their due. It had to be years and years before they really saw any real money because a lot of it would go towards promotion, a lot of it would go towards their trainers, um, who you know obviously helped them get there, and they have no choice but to have those type of things, um, you know, in that type of, in that field or in that career. But Floyd Mayweather definitely opened up that platform to get paid. Now, will you see another Floyd Mayweather get paid, get big paydays the way that he did? I'm not sure, but he was one of the one of the greater ones. But if you remember, there was a period where there were a ton of boxers out there, and there were so many different matches, especially in the late 90s and in the 2000s. There were so many different um, middleweight and lightweight boxers that were out there. You couldn't wait to see a match, uh, you know, during the weekend or get a pay-per-view. But now it's sort of like if it's not Floyd um, or a couple other boxers that are coming, you know, up and coming, you know, you really don't want to watch the sport. But – I just would love to see it go back to when there were, you know, 10, 12 boxers that were out there really competing um, and, and really getting, you know, into the sport. It's it's good for the sport, and I've heard people say that it's dying out. And, I, you know, I don't even know. You probably know because you keep up, but I don't even know who the, the heavyweight champion is anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you used to remember Tyson. You used to remember, you know, remember Lennox Lewis and, and stuff like that, but I couldn't even tell you who the heavyweight champion is. Like I said, the main one is Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder's from Alabama. Joshua's from the UK. Okay. But that's the reason why I decided to get back into boxing because I knew boxing was being uh, pushed to the side because of MMA and all the excitingness of the MMA and all the grittiness with the MMA. Mm-hmm. That's why I decided to make my comeback at 39 um, to do boxing to to help. I guess bring back the excitement because I know I was never scared to fight anybody. Mm-hmm. I was never, I'm still never scared to get in the ring with nobody. You know, I I never had that mentality. Like I feel that you're the best. I want to see if my skills can handle against your skills because I know I'm a tactician. Right. Let's go in there and let's work it out. I don't care if you are undefeated. I don't care if you had two losses or you have all this accolades. Let's go in there and let's work. I'm not gonna. I mean, even if it's for ten thousand, twenty thousand. I'm going to go in the ring and let's just do it. Let's handle our business. That's what I'm all about. So when I made this comeback, I got humbled because I was out of shape, of course, and I was so anxious to get in the ring to get, get some work in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I it, it really opened my eyes. Like, oh, man, I'm 30. I don't have it like I was in my 20s. But I had to slowly gain it back. Everything was coming back to me like riding a bike. Right. So then I turned pro and, of course, and all that went down. and. And my career just 
halted after that, and then my film career uh, took off after that. So I mean, okay. sort of took off a little before, after that. So before, that was kind of cool. Before we get into your film career, let's let I'm gonna um, ask you about the the whole boxing thing because. I want the the uh, the listening audience to know you had a whole documentary done on you. That's what makes you such an interesting, you, you know, your career so interesting. Not only were you great in boxing um, coming up in your earlier days, but you actually, when you talked about making this comeback at age 39, you actually had a documentary uh, done called When the Bell Rings regarding this comeback. Talk talk to us a little bit about that. And and you had a big name backing this documentary. Talk talk to the listeners about that a little bit, Dino. When the Bell Rings was always something I always wanted to do it connected to boxing. When I stepped away from boxing in nineteen ninety six, when I didn't make the Olympics, I stepped away from boxing. I watched it from time to time, but I really didn't put my energy in boxing. I kinda I was kinda burnt out from boxing. Mm-hmm. But in 2000, I decided to make a comeback, and I wanted to do Win the Bell Rings in 2000. I had a trainer called Tony Tubbs train me. I was out of shape then. He was a heavyweight boxer who got beat by my team back in the day. But Tony Tubbs was my trainer, and things didn't go out to go as planned in my first comeback. And then I had people, I talked to people about doing a documentary of, of that comeback back then in the early 2000s, and nobody took it serious. Mm-hmm. So years later, I was working film independent. I was down in the lows and lows of my life. I met Brad Boris, talked with Brad, told him about my life story, told him how good I was in the 90s, and he always wanted to film a documentary on boxing. So he, he said, look, man, I'm going to shoot your life. So I didn't believe him in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then once I found the gym, and everything took off from there. And, and 12 hours a day, every day of my entire life for a year and a half, he filmed me doing the whole process, the whole grueling from 250 to 175. And mm-hmm. um, after we finished, we tried to get distribution. We went through a bunch of people that I guess said they were going to help us get it get distributed. But he finally found some people he trusts, uh, what he thought he can trust. And they brought on Metal World Peace, which is run on test, who came on and helped us with the LA premiere. Mm-hmm. And you know, we won four awards in the, the lower secretary film festivals. And, you know, it was, it's, it's on Amazon prime now and it has a lot of great reviews from it. I get thousands of emails on, on my Facebook, literally people saying they were inspired by the documentary. You know, they was inspired some way or another about their kids or getting back in shape or they, they felt something that that documentary resonated with them. So somebody said to me, that they feel that this is the most, uh, how can I pronounce it? I'm, how can I say it? They said this is one of the best sports documentaries that they've ever seen of all time. That's what somebody said. One of the, one of the best sports mm. documentaries they've seen of all time. And I was like, wow, that made me so good. But I kept using that, and I quoted every time. I'm like, it's been quoted that one of the best <laughs> documentaries of all time. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you now, when the bell rings. Now that that was uh, it was more than boxing because what I liked about it was the fact that it went behind the scenes and showed. It, I mean, that's what a documentary does, right? It shows you and gives you pieces of of content that you know you know you may not see. So it not only showed you training, but it showed your transformation. Now, I remember the transformation when you when you were talking about how much you weighed, and then how much you had slimmed down. You showed your you know it showed how you were eating. Uh, differently, you know, you were eating clean just about every single day. You were training hard every day. 
so that's that's the that's the boxing side of it, right? But what I liked about the documentary was it actually showed your personal side, the whole situation. The human that, side. Yeah, the human <laughs> side, the the personal side, the whole situation with you and your and your your, your children and your sons. And um, you know, um, I know there's one scene that that stands out to me, and this is the one that is also put into the uh, trailer for it. But your son is being sort of disrespectful for uh, respe- disrespectful to you. And he was mad about something, and then it, it actually upset you as well. And you were just, you know, just going through it because you're thinking about, I think at that time when I saw you, I think you were thinking, I'm trying to sacrifice something for him, and he doesn't even realize it. You know what I mean? And it was just right. one of those moments. It was just one of those moments where it was like, wow, this is, this is, this is really, really deep. How is, uh, how is the relationship with you, with you and your son now? Me and Desmond, we're – like two peas in the pod. I talk to him all the time. He's still in New Orleans. Um, I got custody of my 17-year-old son, who was just briefly in the documentary on Skype okay. that Desmond was talking to. I have. Put that, hold on, put that down, little mama. I got my granddaughter here. It's okay. <laughs> um, I have uh, my daughter and I, we're conversing, but it's not, our relationship isn't like I want See the whole the whole reason for this documentary. I want to rebuild with my children. Mm-hmm. I want to rebuild and get some closure from things that happened in my life in the past with my mom and my father. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot we filmed over three hundred hours of footage. The over three hundred hours of footage only got condensed into ninety minutes or eighty-seven minutes. Right. So, a lot of the other stories were by my mom. They kept out of the documentary. All the little stories with my daughter. They kept out of the documentary. All the stories of old gyms I went to use a trainer. At, they kept that out of the gym, out of the documentary. They kept the documentary focused on me and Desmond because of my strange relationship with my father, and I am estranged with Desmond and my other son. But my other son, Deshaun, his mom didn't want him to be a part of the documentary because she thought that I was just doing this documentary just to for, I guess, just to get him, you know, just to show that, so, I don't know, she just had this negative outlook of the whole thing at first and then she finally realized that it wasn't what she was thinking mm-hmm. and she and I ended up getting custody of him like right after the documentary was finished. So that was a good thing. And he ended up going to the L.A. premiere and that world piece and stuff too. So he did things that Desmond didn't do. So Desmond was a part of the documentary, but... Deshaun, I got a chance to go to California to the L.A. screening, meet Metal World Peace, and get the whole experience from there. So that was kind of cool that he got a part of that. But my whole mission was actually to have all my children together and build this experience together. And my oldest son, unfortunately, got murdered in uh, 2015. So that was kind of hard for me as well. So I wanted my oldest son, my daughters, and my, all my kids together just to have fun to interact with each other. But like the plan work as I want mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's that's really deep. And uh, I remember um, you you know you know you mentioning uh, that on your social media about your son you know being killed back in 2015. And I know that had to be you know t- you know tough. You know when a parent outlives um, you know their children, that's something you never want to to happen. But you know it's yeah, a, it's still a, hurts me to the second. Yeah, it's it's a different we're in a different time than, than it was when you and I were coming up. So it's, it's definitely, um, you know, very, very painful. Um, so you shot the documentary, you know, it's won, you know, numerous awards at film festivals. And then, um, after a while, um, it sort of just, just stalled a little bit. I know, I know you said you shopped it around a little bit 
and it's installed and it's on Amazon Prime. The good thing that you want to remember, though, is even though it may not be on you know Amazon Prime, I'd, I'd consider that um, a, a great platform. Um, you're on a platform. You know, some people can't get anything on a platform. It's not Netflix, but it is Amazon Prime. But the one thing that you said was you get emails or uh, comments from people that see the documentary and they talk about how much it inspired them. So even though it may not be giving you um, what um, you anticipated it to, it's still touching people's lives on a daily basis that watch it. You know, so that's a that's a great thing, man. And that's the one thing you got to remember, man, It's just about helping helping others and inspiring others to that say that they can't do it. And you you in that documentary actually showed them that it can be done. Yep. <laughs> um, speaking of that, now um, I introduced you as the uh, WBC ambassador for peace. We actually have a video clip of you being honored with the WBC um, as as the WBC honorary champion. And uh, Dino, you should be able to hear this, but I'll let you uh, listen to this clip. The title of the film is When the Bell Rings. It's the story of uh, Dino Wells, a boxer who in his early to mid-twenties was an amateur champion. I think he fell off from the sport and at 40 years old told me he was going to get back in the ring and I thought, you know, if this guy can stick it out and is, is as determined as he says he is, this could be a really great story. If only, I don't know, 3% of the world, of the men in the world, 5%, were as devoted, hardworking uh, as, as Dino, this would be a, a different, different world. Uh, in the film, uh, he said, uh, no, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not pretending to be a champion of the World Boxing Council or anything. Well, okay. <laughs> so, I'm here on behalf of uh, the World Boxing Council our president, Mauricio Sulaiman, uh, because we want to present Adino as our honorary world champion, an ambassador for peace, for love, for struggle, because he, he was able to rise above all kinds of difficulties and struggles with his heart, with his love for the family, which is, you know, that's something that you seldom see today. So he's a real, real champion that we admire. And now looking at the, this very nice uh, documentary, very, very modest, uh, we would like to present uh, Dino with, with uh, a couple of uh, a medal. Please come on. So that was a clip from um, you being presented with the uh, honorary champion from the uh, World Boxing Council as honorary champion for peace. And that was a big thing. Um, you know, 
what take us back to that? What was that day like for you? I wasn't even expecting it. It was uh it was it was a great screening in LA at this theater and and you know, we had over a hundred people in there watching it. After it was all done, my son and I and wife and everybody were up there and met him and I think we was gonna do a Q and A about it and these people come up and you see they say what they say and I was I was shocked. I was hey, shield bumps going through and I was like, Wow and the next day, there's this gold, big giant gold glove that's encased in glass. Mm-hmm. They took the glass and, and and a lot of the world champion boxers signed it. A lot of these boxers signed it. They let me sign alongside a lot of these other champions um, on there. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. So I just, that was just to be a part of that whole process. It's just a beautiful thing, you know. And I feel that. I, I was like, man, I am W, and I use it all the time, basically. I am honorary WBC, WBC champion, but me, per, in my mind, I'm thinking that I was going to get a lot of accolades from that. But you know, mm-hmm. it's great. I'm happy. I'm I'm honored, uh, and it feels good. And I can say that I've achieved the goal to become a champion. I wanted to be a champion by knocking somebody out, but still, <laughs> I end up getting becoming a champion anyway. So I'm I'm grateful for that. And I will be forever grateful for it. Hey, man, if they can give uh, celebrities honorary degrees at these um, prestigious institutions, you getting an honorary championship from the World Boxing Council is a huge accomplishment. And you, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, this, is, this is what I mean by inspiring. This is one way that you inspired others. Because when you did the documentary, you weren't thinking about you. You were thinking about your children and your family. And look what look look what became of the documentary. Not only do your kids see what you went through and why you were doing it, and your wife saw what you went through and why you were doing it, but you are also inspiring people that you don't even know. So this accolade as being, you know, an honorary champion is a huge thing that you should not take lightly, man. And that's that's great. And this seeing things like this or hearing things like this about you, your story will continue to inspire others. And I, I want my listening audience, if you have not checked out When the Bell Rings, go to Amazon Prime and check out this documentary and just you'll see exactly uh, what I'm talking about. So that was yeah, great. Fire stick is on fire stick as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For those of y'all that got fire stick, uh, that would include myself. Um, so 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 then let's let's talk a little bit about um how you got into acting, man. And because you have been on set with some of the greatest man i mean you've you've worked um regardless of if it was a small role a large role you you've worked with some very famous actors and actresses um my favorite robert de niro i remember when you posted a picture with you and robert de niro i was like man that's that's awesome you know because robert de niro is a legend and um Mm -hmm. you even give a little insight you don't tell too much but you always give a little insight about how they are, you know, what type of people they are. Um, because a lot of times people like myself, we don't get to see that, you know, but tell us, man, a little bit about the acting to career and how you got involved with acting. I always wanted to get into acting. And after watching Poltergeist as a kid, and saw a little kid play Robbie, I was like, if that kid can play, and I'm like 12 years old when I came out, mm-hmm. but I was like, this kid can act in this movie, in this horror film, I know I can act too. 
And I always wanted to get an actor, and that's just honest. I was like, man. So it started out watching that character who played Robbie in Poltergeist. It made me really want to get an actor. And my goal was actually to fight as an amateur, turn, win the Olympics, go to the Olympics, win the Olympics, turn pro, uh, get win a couple of belts, defend my belts, and then retire with the accolades of world champions. So when I get into film, I wouldn't have to go to, you know, you know when, you just, when you become a champion, you don't have to audition so much. You don't have to do all that. They just roles come to you. Right, you're so that was, my, that was my goal. But it didn't happen that way. I stepped away from boxing, and like I said, in 96, with some personal issues, and, you know, my discipline went, went a disarray, went out of the door. And I just said, you know, I'm just going to get into film. When I got into film, I had to start off as the lowest of lowest of other photo pole as an extra, mm-hmm. and then I became a featured extra. And I worked on this. My first role was in Screen Two, and I played an extra in Screen Two. And then I worked on Mama Flores Timer as a featured extra, and done a lot of little smaller stuff here and there. And then I stepped away from film for a while because it wasn't like as I planned. I was like, man, I want to get into film as an acting, but I didn't know the hard work that you had to put in to go to acting classes and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. I didn't know about it. I went in it blindly. So once I started figuring out and I got a acting uh, acting coach, well, I went to some acting workshops and, and learned some things. And then probably 10 years after working on Screen 2 among the Flores family, I, I landed a gig on Glory Road as an extra, and then I became a production assistant on there. And then I started doing a bunch of production assistant work on a bunch of TV shows, movies, uh, music videos, commercials. And then my whole end game was always to get into acting, using my experience in networking and stuff. And then I got on Prison Break and worked on Prison Break, worked seven episodes in that, you know, six or seven episodes in that. It was a good experience seeing around all those directors and actors, building a rapport with those people. And then worked on Dark Knight Wanted and Fred Claus and Trapped in the Claws with R. Kelly and all that stuff like that. And <laughs> it just kept moving and moving and moving and moving and building and building and moved, moved out to L.A., started working on TV shows out there and stuff. And it was fun just building. And then I hit a roadblock and hit a kink due to some personal issues. At the time, I wasn't married. I was, I was always in and out of different relationships, and there were very mentally abusive relationships I was in mm-hmm. that kept my focus in disarray. And, and, and I got fired off a couple of movie TV shows because of the relationship I was in and my, 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 my distractions I was going through. Some of it, like, it's an, it's an emotional thing. I'm not trying to cry on the same, but, you know, I kind of put shot myself in the foot living mm-hmm. out in California. I had to accept. My goal was to become the next Idris Elba, the next Morgan Freeman, the next uh, Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going to be that. I'm still, my mission is still getting, like, one. once Morgan Freeman and Danny Glover, they said, I'm going to take the baton from them and then I'm going to push forward. So I'll be that name in my 60s and 70s, you know? Right. right. Working hard. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Those guys work, they still work to this day. And, uh, you you're familiar with movies because um you're you're an artist but y- you know movies Charles Bronson from my understanding who did the original Death Wish movie was not discovered as an actor or a main actor until he was 65 years old and he became um from that Death Wish movie back in the I think late 70s or early 80s he became a big action star um in Hollywood yep. around that time so 
anything can be done, man. It's just like we were talking earlier uh, on the phone. You know, it's small steps to greatness. And um, being that you're back on track, you know, to to make those steps, man. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, because I know you sent me some stuff that looks great. I mean, you got you know you got a a, a pilot or a screen. Uh, I don't know the terminology. Uh, a screenplay, if you will, for gnarly fields. Um, and then you have this short that you're working on, man. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I have, my wife and I started this company in 2016 called Ambient Path Entertainment, and it's a uh, we, we our motto is home of strong films, and what we're trying to do is create awesome, thought-provoking movies with issues that's going on today in the world, mm-hmm. like with the racism, the blatant racism, and other little different things that's going on with the world today. We want to and put it in my stories and entertain as entertaining as possible, but actually thought-provoking as well. And I wrote a script that first after my son was murdered it's called No Words at All. That's one script that right now is on a back burner, but it's, that's is a very controversial script about abuse, cop abuse, mm-hmm. and the just the darkness that's going on with the police brutality and police murders and all that stuff. That's going on instant slavery, the modern day slavery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. it Fields, my TV pilot, I'm really pushing that right now. Is one of filming down south about a murder here and all the nuances of the work fields around this pastor's death. The different work fields with his police, search, the streets, the home health care, and stuff like that. All those fields are gnarly, and it all happens to this pastor's murder. Mm. And it's, it's a deep story, and has different little subplots and some very intricate characters in it. So, And then I'm writing this short right now, which... Uh, it came upon me last night, actually. Like, all that stuff, it just came on me. God, I thought, like, you know what? I'm going to shoot a film. I'm going to film this short real quick. Just a few locations, a couple of characters, and it deals with dealing with uh, a breakup, relationships. So, And that's going to be kind of deep and touch on some subject of how to deal dealing with uh, breakups and stuff. Because I'm the epitome of that. That's why I got married. I'm the epitome of breaking up <laughs> <laughs> i got you man i got you you know the relationship thing is uh definitely um something that will get a lot of attention people always want to um know you know know about different situations and um that's great that you're coming up with a short for that because i think that's a, a, an excellent segue um to uh some information for for um you know different people that are out there that are looking for that type of stuff, you know, because a lot of times people don't realize that if they experience if they experience something in a relationship, other people are experiencing that same thing, and they feel too ashamed to come oh, forward. Something, yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, they're too ashamed to come forward about it. But when you put it into perspective, and you're like, man, I went through that same exact thing, you know, they can see that it's not you're not alone, you know. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, I'd love to hear more about the. Uh, the one with the police brutality, which which leads me to a, a good segue in my program. And I know you probably haven't had a chance to listen to all of my episodes, but we had one with um, Jane Elliott. Uh, we had a, uh, I had Jane Elliott on, who has been a champion against racism. I believe that's on episode five that I did. And she came up with the, um, and Dino, you probably heard about it, the brown-eyed, blue-eyed uh, exercise where mm-hmm. over 35 years ago, she was a teacher in third grade. Martin Luther King had just been killed, 
and she decided because he was one of their heroes, she had to come in and explain to her kids what happened to him and why he was killed. Now, this is in an all in an all white school in Iowa. And so what she decided to do was take everybody that had brown eyes and everybody that had blue eyes, separate the two and treat the brown eyed people better than she treated the blue eyed people and to see how they responded. Fast forward 35 years later, a lot of the kids that <coughs> took that, uh, did that exercise with her when she was their teacher um, have said that it made them, you know, better understand race relations and the prejudice that were maybe passed down to them. Um, she talked about police brutality. It's a really, really good episode. If you haven't got a chance to check it out, man, you got to check it out because she's been all over on Oprah, you know, all over on different um, uh, different shows and different platforms just talking about it. She teaches um, her exercise um, to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. That's how big she is. And she's, uh, I think Jane is 85 or Cousin Jane, as I call her, she's either 85 or 86 years old. And she's still pushing very, very hard, very, very strong woman. But, that uh, is awesome, actually. Yeah, man. Yeah, check it out. If you YouTube her, um, it'll come up. Her name is Jane Elliott, and you'll see all kind of stuff on her. And it even shows uh, ABC actually did a documentary on her years ago back in the 70s where she did this exercise, and it's it's just good, cool stuff to see. But a lot of the things, she talks about a lot of the things that, you know, how we were taught wrong in school, how we're taught to be indoctrinated, um, you know, in, in school. Um, but really, really cool stuff, man. You should definitely check that out when you get a chance. But um, fast forward into news and noteworthy stuff, man. We talked a little bit about your career. We talked about you and and um, and acting. We talked about your boxing career. We talked about um, your accolades and being an honorary champion uh, through the uh, WBC. Um, but let's get into a little bit of news, man. Stuff that's going on around us today. And the first thing I want to get into, because I've heard you bring some of these things up uh, on your social media platform and on your page through Facebook, um, when you're doing your, um, when you when something's on your mind, you, you talk about it, which I think is great. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on. We're, we're in a Trump era right now, and you're seeing a lot of things come to fold with this, with this man in office. One of them is, the most recent one is immigration and the separation of families. When you first heard that was happening to the families that were coming over illegally, what was what was your thoughts, man? What was your first thought on, on, on the separation when you saw that the families were being separated from, I mean, the kids were being separated from their mothers and their fathers and put into these, I, I know they don't call them camps, but I call them camps because that's what they look like, put into these camps across the nation. I thought, I thought it was sad, but at the same time, there's nothing different that's going on today when, when we have black men being taken from their families, thrown into prison for misdemeanor charges for long periods of time, you know, and, and these kids are growing up without their fathers or mothers being out there selling themselves and on drugs and they've got kids out there raising themselves or you looking for the street. Now you have these immigrant immigrants coming in, uh, coming to the country and getting taken from their, from their families. That's kind of gnarly at the same time. That the administration, I don't, I don't understand what the ideology behind doing such things. I don't, I don't know the whole parameter or the reasoning behind it. But 
I believe that family need to stay together and structures need family structure need to stay together. Where if it's Latino, African American, Caucasian, it doesn't matter. I just think families and the upbringing will build a better country, peace, and harmony without all the racism and hatred. Exactly, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Now, I will call racism out when it's blatant racism, but um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm not racist. I think that we should be able to get all you know get along you know together and um just like jane elliott said there's only one race that's the human race you know so we should should all we should all be able to get to get along but we know that's not so we know a lot of stuff has been indoctrinated from years and years ago from you know the early 50s all the way through the 60s during the civil rights era and you know it's just passed down and it continues to um to 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 move forward but in my opinion, I think that Trump, what Donald Trump has done is he's catered and played to a base of people that at one point in time felt like I have to be silent about my racism and I have to be silent about how I truly feel um, towards black, brown, and perhaps even um, Muslim um, people. But now he's making it so, you know, he's running such a weird, wacky type of administration that now every one of these people that are out there that are racist feel it's okay to come out because you have the leader of the free world um, saying and doing things that's saying that you know that's saying it's okay when it's truly not. Um, it, it comes I, I'm not a Trump. I am not a Trump fan. Not by no means necessary, but at the same time, I feel that most of the stuff that come out of his mouth mm-hmm. is a lot of the stuff is not is written. Is written. You could tell. What this is? What I was telling my wife the other day. You could tell what Trump is reading is recycling stuff that's been written. Because you know he have writers that write stuff for him. Just, right. Just put out to the masses. Yeah. You could tell when he go off book when he starts speaking out of the left side of his neck and he use um and uh a lot. Mm-hmm. But when he's not doing um and and uh and that stuff is he's re- he's reading off a off a script teleprompter or stuff that was written for for him. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes off left field and start taking, they start talking out of the left side of his neck, then you know that, and he's um and on, that's how he blatantly feels mm. for whatever they wrote for him to say. Mm. Now, has he done anything good for this country? I I, I can't say. I mean, it's just you know, people are biased. People say certain things. You know, people got on. Um, people got on. Uh, Kanye West because of the MAGA hat and how he felt about slavery. You know, it's just, it's funny to me how all that stuff went down, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's crazy, man, because I was one of the one I, I did a special episode about that when it happened that day. And uh, he, you know, in my opinion, Donald Trump, you have to know what you're dealing with, right? So, for example, uh, three, three, four weeks ago, Kim Kardashian West went to the Oval Office um, to speak to President Trump about prison reform and told a story regarding the black woman that had been uh, locked up for a period of time for conspiracy and, and drug trafficking. And um, the lady says, uh, you know, that she was not the conspirator or not the ringleader, even though it was made uh, to be that way. And so she was almost locked up for, I don't know, some crazy amount of time. Um, and she and, you know, he, he pardoned her, and, you know, well, he's going to pardon her, and, and she's out, and I think that's great. But you also have to know that he is an entertainer, and, and I think that's what a lot of people miss. 
a lot of things that he's doing or, or, or saying is to entertain. That's why he loves going to those rallies because he can get people, the people that follow him and love him, he feeds off of that. Um, he's a narcissist. Right, right, exactly. He feeds off of that, and so that's why he will not have a press conference with all the different uh, media, uh, media news outlets out there because he, one, wouldn't be able to handle the tough questions that are asked of him, and he'd probably, you know, we've seen him do it before, get upset, walk off. Um, so that's the only reason why he does a lot of interviews with Fox News because Fox News plays to his ego. So he's just, exactly. you know, at the end of the day, and, and, and this is my opinion, he's he's a bully. Um, for me, the days in politics, when you talk about politics, the days you're supposed to be, if I'm if I'm a Republican and, Dino, you're a, a Democrat, I we may have different ideas, but we're supposed to be working together for the good of the people, right? So right. I'm, I'm supposed to be able to take some of my ideas and give you a little bit of, I'm supposed to be able to get a little bit of what I want. You're supposed to be able to take some, we're supposed to be able to take some of your ideas and you're supposed to be able to get a little bit of what you want. We put it together and it all works for the people and the people get something out of it. It's, it's going away from that in politics. It's, well, I'm not doing this because you're a Republican and I'm not doing this because you're a Democrat. Well, I don't like you. You don't like me. So guess what? We're not going to do anything. And in the meantime, nothing gets done. And we, as people and United States citizens are the ones left to suffer. So um, I do think there is one good thing he did, and this is just from a business standpoint with the tax, and I still know that there's um, there's still uh, something in it for him around it. Um, but he did do the tax break and made the corporate tax a little bit less for small businesses. Um, that can help the economy. Where it hurts is when you have the larger million and billion dollar companies that get those same tax breaks, he's banking on them to hire more people. That may or may not happen. They may bank that tax break that they get and make Do you even think more he rich. has good intentions for this company when it comes to business? And do, when, do, you think he have, do you think he has some kind of good for this country? Do you think, Phil, that he's just not this tyrant that everybody's making him to be? Because people are in their feelings. Um, no, nah, I think I think I, I think that he's always wanted to be president. He's always wanted to be bigger than who he is. Um, if you look at his history, um, you'll see that he he at one point in time was a pretty decent guy, and then he met someone else who was just a ruthless um, political guy, and that changed him. Um, and that's when he became very narcissistic. But um, I don't think he fully is who he portrays. Um, I think it's a character for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it's a character right, exactly. that he has to show in order to stay to stay within the power that he has gained. Because to be honest with you, I don't truly believe that he thought he was going to win the election. Because uh, when they announced him as a winner, he sort of they showed pictures of him. I remember thinking and telling my wife, "Yo, he looks like he." is really nervous right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I was like, he looks like he's really nervous right now, like he really is one, and now, you know, um, everything's hitting the fan. So I, I, I don't know. You just never know with him. I think you look at his track work, I do think he's racist, um, and that's unfortunate. You know, if you go back and look before he became president with the Central Park Five, he took out a huge ad in the paper when they were accused of um, five um, uh, black men were accused of raping uh, a j- woman jogger, white woman jogger in Central Park. 
Um, come to find out, fast forward years later, that they uh, were intimidated by the police, and the police intimidated them into uh, saying that they did it when they did not. DNA evidence showed that they did not do it. He took out a full. Do page. you believe? Excuse me. Uh-huh. Do you believe that some Caucasians are systematically scared anyway of African American or people of color? They're just systematically already in their mind think you're already guilty even if you're not, and that 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 won't necessarily make you racist. That just make you scary. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, the scary black man um, stereotype, right? So syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So so what it is, what that is, is stuff that has been passed down from generation to generation. And my opinion is what happens is they automatically assume that what's being told to them is how it is. And unless they interacted with us, um, most of the time, the people that say those things have never even had an interaction uh, with a black person. And when I say interaction, I'm not talking about working with them or just working with them. I'm talking about sitting down with lunch, having a conversation about sports, having a conversation about life in general. They haven't done that. And so what ends up happening is <clears throat> when you get stereotyped, this is what they truly believe until you meet, until um, you, until you get a chance to meet or speak with one of us. And they, you know, they find out that that's not true, but that's what they were taught. And so because they were taught that, that's what they feel. And most of the time, because they're taught that, they don't want to interact with us anyway. You know, and right. um, think about how the media portrays us. Every time you turn around, there's a shooting or a killing or a drug bust or something like that. The me- media right. portrays us as, hey, this is this is what's happening, and that's not the case. Um, and this go- that, that is not something that is um, new. That's been happening for years. Um uh, the documentary, exactly. the documentary Thirteenth, uh, uh, shows you. Yeah, talks talks about that and shows you how far back that that went and why they did it. Um, and you know now what they're doing, Dino, is they're using code words. You know, um, and when I say code words, what I'm talking about is, you know, they can't say nigga, right? Because that's the right. politically incorrect thing to do. So what do they say? They use words like thugs, animals, bees. animals, mm-hmm. thugs. Yeah. So when you hear that, those white supremacist people that are are racist and and biased, they know what that means. Um, so it's it's a crazy time that we live in. Um, and, I, and and I used to. Find, I I believe. Oh, sorry, no 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 go ahead, no no go ahead go ahead go ahead. I I believe that in order to change all this is is start from the generations now the generations now and teach peace. I don't care if you're. Caucasian, Asian, Black, Hispanic, Latino, whatever, uh, people of color. I feel that if we just teach love, peace, and happiness, I, I get what Kanye was saying about about the love, the love thing he was talking about. I get it, mm-hmm. you know. But if you teach that young, you grow up with peace and harmony and interact with each other. Like, we're trying to do that. You have people that's actually doing it, interracial relationships. You have people enjoying each other's time. But then you have the old-school-minded, 60s-minded, 50s-minded, 1800s-minded people that want to hate against that and want to live in the past and don't want any progression of togetherness. They don't want that. They they want to keep the separatist visions going on and which is which is silly to me right now like can we just teach love happiness to the younger generation 
that's my mission. I want, like in my stories, mm-hmm. I want to teach. You know, there's going to be some dark stuff in my stories. There's there, there are darkness. There's some messages that's being conveyed that's going to be kind of, you know, but it's reality. It's what it is. It's truth. But at the same time, not. I do tons of research before I write anything. I'm not just going to put anything that's fake out there, mm-hmm. no conspiracy theorists or anything like that. It's actual 100% facts what I write. Mm-hmm. And I do it in an entertaining way where you will see where it's not as graphic, but it's going to have some graphic to it because life is graphic. So, But I just think we should teach the youth today so we have a better tomorrow. If this generation grow up now, like my kids, you know, my kids know about the racism and all that stuff that's going on right now. My son, 17, mm-hmm. he's shocked about a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. You know, he's he's super shocked by it. But at the same time, like I said, we just teach the kids, like my grandkids, you know, my daughter's kids. These are my step-grandkids here. But I had, you have to teach these kids, you know. If you don't teach them, it's just going to be, it's just, we're going to stay stuck in the past. I agree. I agree. Um, you and I both have sons. Uh, I have a son that's 12 right now. He'll be 13 in October. And then I have my youngest son, but I think about them all the time because pretty soon, um, you know, I'm going to have to have that conversation with him. We're already telling him things that he needs to know, but it's unfortunate that we, you and I have to have those conversations with him about, you know, as you get older, these are the things that you need to make sure you do uh, when you encounter racism or when you encounter a police officer that may be um, giving you a hard time because of a stereotype that he believes in or because he's racist. Um, and I think it's absolutely ludicrous that we have to do that in this day and age. But you, you, you have to have those conversations because if we don't, they're going to be blindsided by something that they truly, because we protect and shield them from so much, they're going to be blindsided by something that they may not even existed, you know, because they don't think about those things. Kids think about school, their friends, video games, and having fun. You know, that's the the, the age that they're at. Right, and, right, and, right. You know, so you encounter someone that's calling them a nigga or, you know, calling them out their name or saying crazy, disrespectful things to them. They're like, why, you know? Um, but one thing that I have noticed is society is – trying to fight back against um, what we have now, which I think Donald, Donald Trump is, is, is pushing it. He's, he's the one to blame because a lot of time the culture and society follows the leader of the free world. Um, it's just proven history of that. But because his agenda has from the Charlottesville thing to the way that he talks at these rallies, the way he gets people fired out, talking about, you know, provoking violence, punching him in the face and all this stuff. Um, you, 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 you come across these things and you, you just have to have these conversations. But he he is uh he's a he's an interesting character. He plays to his base. He's gonna come across in history as the darkest president that the United States ever had. Oh yeah. That <laughs> dude is dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And he and he don't care, man. He don't care about nothing. He's gonna say what he wants to say. It's even worse now because he's the president. You know, and his and his the his way of thinking and his narcissistic way of thinking, in his mind, he can do no wrong. You remember what he said? He said, uh, I can go out in the middle of Times Square and shoot somebody and nothing would be done. That's how much he thinks people are loved. He's loved. So uh, very, very narcissistic. You know, he lies every chance he gets. Um, and it's 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 crazy we, we live in that. But like I was saying is people are fighting back a little bit. If you notice in commercials, 
you're seeing more biracial couples in commercials, which I think is kind of cool. Um, just little things, little nuances you can see. Then you have racist people that's within our community, within people of color that, that are racist, that don't even like that. You yeah. know, that, oh, we should stay within ourselves. We should, you know, like, come on. Yeah. If you love someone, love them. I don't care if they're Spanish, they're Japanese, they're from Mars. You know what I'm saying? You just still just love. What is your take on the N-word? Like, people, I had a discussion with this guy on uh, Twitter. I think he blocked me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big advocate against, he wants to abolish the, the word nigga. Mm-hmm. And then he felt some type of way when I said, like, we embraced the word and took the E off and put A on it. Right. And he said, that shouldn't, it shouldn't, you know the history behind it. He, like, I know that I get it. I understand the history. I know it's bad, even especially for the older generation. But what is your take on the N-word? I mean, my take on the N-word is it's a word um, that we took and in, in used it in, in terms of endearment. So, you know, if, 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 if I say, you know, nigga, or if I say Negro, um, it's in an endearing way, you know what I mean? Or in a funny way. I would never, I would never say it in, in a way with the er on it. You know derogatory. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like derogatory derogatory towards, towards anyone. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the words that we can use, whether we're happy, whether we're sad, when we're, you know, like if, if, if somebody's doing something blatantly wrong, like if 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 two black like, dudes, what yeah, are you doing? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if two if, if two if two black dudes if two black dudes rob a bank and they shoot an old lady in the process and we're just like stupid niggas, you know what I mean? That that's not that's not that's not saying it's saying it not derogatory, but if they're wrong in doing something like that, that's how we use the word. And I think people don't understand that. We can say that word, right? Because it's our word. We've taken a word that you use as uh, negatively towards us for years and years, and then we've taken it and we've turned it around as an in term of endearment. I never say it. That's what I explained to you. I explained it to that guy, and he was like, and he just, the whole, I mean, the stuff that he was just saying, and he was trying to discredit me and call me, I'm stupid, I'm brainwashed. And, and I was like, oh, man, this guy here, and he ended up blocking me, so. You know, because I just kept, I'm like, I told, I told him like this, and that's the reason why I blocked it, because I say I agree to disagree. We, You have your opinion, I have my opinion. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, as I was breaking down what I was saying to him, I couldn't send him any more messages, so he blocked me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't care. Like, that's what you do if you want to block me, fine. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I won the battle. You know what I'm saying? Right. I won this debate. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, man, it's 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 you know, it it's 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 something that is I think will always be a, de- a debate. But um, my wife and I were having a conversation um, one time, and we were talking about um, racism and, and and things like that. And one thing that she brought up to me and, and pointed out to me was that we we as black people as well have to stop with each other. And I'm not talking about violence. I'm just talking about in general, uh, as people, you know, um, we, we, we have to stop, uh, being discriminatory towards each other. You know what I mean? Right. Thinking, right. thinking that we are, uh, better than one, well, you know, because, uh, you know, I may be dark, you may be light and vice versa, or right. not wanting to support, um, black businesses, 
um, or, you know, just just little things. And, and so she brought that up, and I was like, hmm, you know, she's got so – she had some very good points about it. Um, but not only that, just, you know, we have to be able to pick ourselves up and do uh, some of the things that we're capable of doing. You know, stop feeling sorry for ourselves all the time. Um, and I'm not saying right. that's everybody because everybody is not like that. I think that majority of African-American people want to be able to work hard, be able to go to work, have a job, have benefits, make a little money to support their family, send their kids to college, maybe start their own business, be successful, and that's it. And they want to be left alone. There shouldn't be any barriers um, preventing them from doing so. Um, exactly. Exactly. What you're saying, uh, that's exactly what I want. I want a little bit of peace of this so-called American dream. I want to yeah. have a point where I have financial stability, where I can go to my daughter and spend time with her for a weekend. Yeah. I want to fly to... I want to fly to California with my kids and take them to the Universal Studios. Yeah. I want to go to Dubai and chill for a week in Dubai. Right. They don't have to worry about bills at home, you know. And then I want to film my movies. But I feel that like I'm very unsung when it comes to certain things like that. Yeah. I'm unsung with everything. I don't know how. I see how people online, how they blow up with their, you know, I'm not doing nothing stupid so I can get viral. Mm-hmm. I see people do weird things to be viral. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Weird, weird things. And I don't know. And I'm like, I feel that. And I'm not making it all about me, but at the same time, I have a lot of great content that I don't even am about on a positive of stuff to uplift us as people. Mm-hmm. And and I have funny stuff and stuff like that. My poems, because I'm a poet as well, and I have a full of poems. I have over a thousand poems online, and not everything I feel that I post, I get a couple of views here. My wife said, "Don't worry about it. It's gonna come in time." Like I'm patient. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> It's funny, man, and I think that's all we want. And I think, I think the peop- the thing that and um, um, uh, that some people miss, and, and what white people miss is they don't have anything preventing them or blocking them from achieving some of the things that we're talking right. about. And I think that's the part that's missed. And so, what I would like to see, and and I'm glad I'm seeing it, um, people that are out there that know racism exists, people that you know, people that are white, people that are Asian descent people that of the Muslim faith that know these things exist. What I'm starting to notice in a lot of these rallies are they're out there as well. Before you would see a lot of black people coming together and doing those things. But now it's like in this Trump era with everything that's going on, he's pissed everybody off. So everybody, in my opinion, that has common sense and know that these type of things shouldn't be occurring because of someone's skin or their or religious belief or, um, yeah, the, a, a woman's right to choose, whether it be the LGBT community, whoever, um, these people are coming out and they're supporting the things that they truly believe in, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, I you know I, I just I just think it needs to be more of that. And you know, there are laws that is that that are created for some reason, but laws also get out outdated. You know what I mean? That's why you go right, and yeah. you change them. And so people always want to throw the law up in your face, like for immigration. Oh, it's the law. It's the law. That's what a lot of of these right wing conservatives say. Well, it's the law. Yeah, it's the law. Right. Is the law outdated? You know. You know what I mean? Is the law outdated? Do we really need to look at it? But you're so caught up in, you know, protecting something that you feel is right when it's totally and completely wrong. Common sense tells you it's wrong. That you get upset. You know. Now the latest is, you know, they're attacking Queen Maxine Waters, who has been. 
you know, as a as a uh, congresswoman, she has been pivotal in civil rights. She's been pivotal in law and and, and getting laws made uh, for the benefit of of the people. And now, because of what she said about if you see them out in places, let them know that you're not going anywhere. Let them know that they're not wanted there. I, I disagree with her there where, you know, tell them that they, they're not wanted there. But, you know, her message is the same way that they're coming out and coming out against you and doing all these things. We're tired of that. We've tried doing it this way. You're not listening. So the only way to get your attention is to do it this way. And so now they're coming after her. I heard some guy. Um, on uh, I was watching YouTube. I think it was a, a CNN clip, but they were talking to the guy, and they were talking about how Maxine Waters lives in Beverly Hills. She doesn't live in the community, and she doesn't live in that. Right. And 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 I get that. I, I I understand what he's trying to say, but here's the thing. My thing is, she's earned the right to live in Beverly Hills, and her right. husband her husband is a businessman. He owns, from my understanding, a ton of dealerships out in California for over for years so she's earned the right to live where she wants to live just because she's not in the community living doesn't mean that she's a sellout and not contributing to her community and that's where they get you can misconstrued and that's the type of rhetoric you have to watch because that's what they try to use against you but right exactly and that is bad with our own people that that do oh yeah oh yeah if you get a little success and you move out the hood or you move into a a, a neighborhood uh, that's a little bit more nice um, that's the first one of the first things they want to say. How about saying, "No, I moved because it's hard work and I want better for my family." There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you a seller. Let's say I went from I went from Skid Row to Studio City in California. I went from living in Skid Row to out tent city, sleeping on the streets, sleeping in a shelter, to living into a $2100 a month one bedroom apartment in a luxurious apartment complex. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was like, people, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's called hard work and dedication. <laughs> yeah, man. It's no different. And it doesn't matter if you, because here's the thing, that when they when they stereotype uh, black people, they forget that there are poor white people that are out there, too, that are going through the exact same thing as black people. That's the funny thing about mm-hmm. it, because we all want the same thing. There are poor whites that can relate more to, in my opinion, to black people and what black people are going through because they've been through some of the same things than some of these upper line, um, 1% rich white people that have no idea of what it's like to be poor. You know what I mean? Their daddy's, and they're silver spoon kids. Yeah, their, their daddy's daddy had money and, and things like that. So I just think that black, white, brown, and, and, and all ethnicities, the human race just need to come together, man, and we need to fight this thing that's called racism. Um, and let them know it won't, you know, we, we, we just not going for that anymore, man. We're here to try to work together and to live a prosperous life for all of us. And, um, just trying to keep, you know, positive for our kids and the next generation that are going to be, um, that, that are going to actually be, you know, running this, this great nation. So it's crazy, man, but I don't know, bro. I don't know. It's, it's, we'll, we'll see, you know, and the other thing I, 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 I urge people to do, and I, and I think I've heard you say it before too, man, is just get out there and vote. You you got to get out there and vote. Don't don't talk about it. You got to be about it and get out there and, and and vote, regardless of how you may feel. You need to get out there and vote and and try to make a change. Learn about what those candidates in your local city are about. Learn about you know your your state legislative. Learn about all that stuff, because there are some crazy laws that people are trying to push, and um, it impacts and prevents 
um, a lot of poor, disenfranchised people from doing a lot of things, and that's why they're trying to push them. So keep that in mind, man. Yes, indeed. Yeah, when I say vote, I mean vote locally because when it comes to, like, the president and stuff, that our votes, actually, in my opinion, our votes really don't matter when it comes to the president because you have to over the electoral vote. Mm-hmm. That really is what matters when we get the president in office. But voting locally is what it is what really matters. Yep. Yep. I definitely agree with that, man. I definitely agree with that. But man, it's been great having you on, man. Our time is up, Dino. But man, I gotta have you come back on, man, talk about some sports stuff, because I know you're a huge sports person too. I have to cover you when the fall starts, football's coming up. Might have to have you come on and talk about that, man, and or come back on and just talk about those issues, man, and Man, I'm I'm I appreciate you coming on to the show and giving us some of your time today. I appreciate it too. I want to give a hundred percent shout out to my wife, who is my solid, my she's my 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 rib, my my backbone. She's the strength of of this whole growth. If it wasn't for her, I'd be probably flat on my face right now. So yes. Yeah. He's right here actually listening, and I'm not saying that because he's right here. If I was downstairs, I was still saying it. So at the same time, she's a little, it's 100% strength. We don't see eye to eye most of the time, but at the same time, it all turns out we're still together strong as one. That's great, man. That is great, man. Well, we, we've enjoyed having you on the show. We're going to have you come back, man. Um, give everybody your, your social platforms that may want to follow you, man, and look out for some of these great projects that you got coming up. Uh, you can catch me on just go to www.com uh, or www.aboutme slash Dino Wells and you will see all my all my social media URLs are there. Or you go to www.itsmyurls.com slash Dino Wells. All my URLs are there. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff. You know, I have a new one. It's uh, Patreon.com, The Real Dino Wells, where you can check out my Patreon and all the wonderful content that I'm about to put there. And the short film that I'm about to film is going to be there, too, as well. Well, man, we look forward to having those great, uh, those great that great content come out, man. Make sure you guys check Dino Wells out, The Real Dino Wells. I am Frank Styles, and this has been Let's Be Honest. I'll talk to you guys soon.